you for being here this evening. Uh, I want to thank all the guys that came out today and helped assemble chairs. Uh, you rallied in to the call, and we were able to put together many of the chairs that uh, we have many more to put together, but we put in... Look at there. Praise God. That's our new balcony that you're looking at right there. So if you haven't seen it in person, you can look at it there or go up after the service and you can see the chairs. We're going to be back out here tomorrow at 8 o'clock and over in the FLC putting together the rest of the chairs. Then we're going to tackle the pews. And then what we don't get done tomorrow, we're going to finish up on Saturday. And so we're going to get this thing knocked out. Amen. And we have a home for all of the pews. So we thank God for that. And uh, tonight, uh, uh, tonight, I'm going to welcome Dennis to come back uh, this evening. He's been helping. Uh, he had something on his heart here a while back, and I said, well, I'll get the perfect time because I'm going to be traveling for a lot for the lost and a lot of things going on in October. And so it's right in line with, with what I believe the Lord wants to, us to hear. A uh, couple of announcements as he's coming. Uh, the fellowship is going to meet on Saturday the 22nd. I've got a... Yesterland Farm activity that they're going to. The Flourish Women's Ministry is going to be meeting Sunday for lunch, and that's going to be, I believe, in the FLC. And uh, if it's not, you guys look at the, it's a potluck. Yes, so I guess it's going to be in the FLC. The men's camping uh, trip is going to be October 28th and 29th. And also, uh, Friend Day is coming up Sunday the 30th, and so invite all of your friends to be out here. God bless Dennis. Take it away. Are you up here or down there? Okay. Uh -huh. Y'all welcome, Dennis, and uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, thank you. Uh, well, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I wanted to let you know that the praise team—they know more songs than you know. They're not just repeating that song because they don't know any more songs, but they're repeating that song. We need to move because I asked them if they would do that, and they'll do it, Lord willing, next Wednesday night as well. So how many knows we need to move? We need a move of God. Amen. Well, praise God. I'm going to sit down tonight. Is that okay? Now, that don't mean I'm going to stay seated the whole time. If, if something, if I get a little excited, you're, you're okay with me getting up and moving around a little bit and hollering and waving my arms and all that. You're okay with that? Okay. Well, basically, it didn't vote. Tonight, just want to let you know something. The views are my own. If, if, if you don't like what I say, you can unfriend me, okay? I'm going to ask my wife to start us off with some scriptures here. Psalm 85, 6 through 9. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Hosea 10, 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. James 4, 8 through 10. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Somebody clap your hands for the word of the Lord tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're talking about revival move of God, outpouring, awakening. There's different levels, of course, different degrees of effects of revival. Some revivals, all revivals affect us personally if we have a personal revival. Some revivals are citywide. Some revivals are nationwide. 
How many knows we live in a time right now that we need a nationwide revival, a nationwide outpouring? Well, revival begins in a nation through people, personal revival in our hearts. If we have personal revival, then this is the first step to a national revival, personal revival. I've got to have a revival. If enough of us have revival, then we begin to influence the community. You see, revival doesn't change the nation. Revival changes people, and people change the nation. That's a very important point. Because, see, if we're waiting for a cloud to drop out of the sky and for God to do everything, God doesn't always do everything. He's big enough to do things by himself, and he has taken care of business by himself many times. He didn't, didn't have to have anybody help him. But sometimes God chooses to use us to be involved in the process amen so here's a statement i want just kind of pivotal statement if we don't have a national revival what we have now in america we will have more of what we have right now is not going to go away just because we don't like it it's going to go away because we seek god we obey god and we see that change come. But if we don't have national revival, it's going to, what we have now, it's only going to increase. And just when you think you've heard it all, I heard another one yesterday. Mr. Gates has spent $200 million to try to create a ID system. I wonder what that's all about. We live in perilous times. And the reason I would even bring these kind of things up and what I did last week There's a lot of stuff going on, and it's human nature to get oversaturated and say, I don't want to hear that anymore, and I've been there, and haven't you been there as well? Sometimes we don't need to keep listening to it. You don't need to listen to the, well, I don't listen to the news at all, actually. I turned that junk off a long time ago. I, don't, I didn't want to hear the propaganda, but sometimes you need to realize what's going on we need to know what's going on in the world but first we need to know what's going on in the word if you know what's going on in the word then you can take care and deal with what's going on in the world but to hide our heads in the sand and say nothing's happening that's not smart these sober realities what's the point of even bringing that up here's the point not to bring up fear create fear or hopelessness the point is this and i use this word advisedly to drive us to do what we can do to be god's hands and god's voice on the earth amen not to bring fear and hopelessness because you know what we're more than conquerors we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. Amen. So this is going to, if we really look at these things properly, it's going to drive us. It's going to uh, move us to really get serious and to seek God for revival. Revival doesn't change everything overnight always, but it starts the process. How many knows we need to start the process in America? Amen. We need to get the process started. Um, we need better government. We need good government so that we can have freedom to assemble and freedom to preach the gospel. Good government restrains evil. Good gospel changes evil hearts. Amen. We deserve both and we need both. We desire both of these. You remember the shutdowns? You remember that the bars weren't shut down? Liquor stores weren't shut down. Who'd they try to shut down? Now, we none of us knew what was going on right at first, but after a few months, we kind of got it figured out. There's an agenda here, right? So at first, we didn't know what was going on, but the churches were told, do not assemble. Well, that's violation of God's word. He tells us to assemble together, assemble ourselves together, be under the ministry of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. 
How can we do that if we're sitting at home watching it on video? Nothing wrong with video. I'll watch video every once in a while. I need to, you know, if you can't make it, if you're sick or something like that. But we have to assemble together. We have to come together. That is the will of God. God needs us here in America. Let's read Exodus 3, 7 through 10. I think I read it last week, but this is such a perfect scripture to show how that God uses people. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. God. And to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. I see your sorrow. I see what the politicians, I mean the taskmasters are doing. I see it, and I see your sorrow, and God, did God say, I'm going to come down and deliver you? God said that, right? We just read it. God said, I'm going to come deliver you. Then he goes to Moses and said, Moses, get your shoes on. You're going to go see Pharaoh. Moses said, wait a minute. I didn't under, I thought you said, I'm go, you said you were going to deliver. And God said, I am, but I'm going to deliver through you. We want America delivered from evil, right? Right? Well, sometimes God uses us, or not sometimes, all the time God's going to use us in the way our government is set up. God uses people. Amen. And God said, I am going to deliver you. want to see a change in your nation, you've got to We want America delivered from evil, right? Right? Well, sometimes God uses us, or not sometimes, all the time God's going to use us in the way our government is set up. God uses people. Amen. So, if you want to see a change in your nation, you've got to be willing. I didn't really ask to preach. I just kind of said, you know, I kind of threw it out there. He said, good, I got, I, we can do that. And, and so I wrote him back and said, well, we could probably do it in three, three Wednesday nights. He said, good. And then he set me off for a month so that I would carry this burden for a month. I don't know what Zachariah felt like, but he had a burden, and I, I felt the burden. He said, good. I felt the burden for my nation. And, and, and so I wrote him back to, well, we can probably do it in three And for all of the cover-up and all of the schemes and all of the evil. Now, next week, the Lord willing, we're going to get into the, we're going to get into, what shall we call it? Let's call it the super super powerful stuff next week because we can have a revival in our land. We can have a revival. Tonight I'm going to talk about several incidences of places where there were revivals, some of the men and, and, and servants of the Lord that were involved in that. But anyway, I pastor said, okay, we'll do this. And so here I am. When we talk about revival, and we talk about the people of revival, I did not realize I have been studying and reading and praying for how long? Two months. And my brain is so full and so empty at the same time because you put stuff in and then the stuff you had put in there earlier, it goes out. So you have to keep, you know, you have to keep it going. So. What I decided tonight is, you know, I know that people can't hang around forever. So here's what I want to do. 
I'm just going to just talk about, just show some snapshots and some portion, portions of God's uh, changing lives and the servants of the Lord that he used. And, and then I want to move on from that, and then we'll finish up tonight, okay? Uh, but here's, what a, here's the question I want to ask us, because this is pivotal, pivotal. Do you really want a revival? Now, you might want to think about that before you answer, because revival, revival costs something. It's, you need to really pray. Your pastors really want revival, so you really need to pray for them, because I know they really want revival. And see, anytime, you know, the, the, anytime that, that somebody stands up and, and pushes for something, any kind of leader, they become a target. And so we're not afraid of becoming a target. We just need your prayer covering, okay? We just need your unity. We need your love. We need your wisdom to know what to do and how to do it and when to do it and to go with the flow of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hallelujah. So God used, I can't even name them all, John and Charles Wesley, George Whitefield's how Spell, but I always called him Whitfield, so I'm going to say Whitfield, George Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, D.L. Moody, uh, Charles Spurgeon, Evan Roberts, Reinhardt Bonnke, William Seymour, Billy Graham, Billy Sunday, on and on and on and on and on it goes. We're not trying to leave anybody out. There's just so many that you can't name them all. And for sake of time tonight, I'm just going to talk about a few. And here's what I want to say tonight. Uh, these servants... Of the Lord, I just want to talk about two of just the men and and what, how they lived and sacrificed to influence generations. Uh, these were two Methodist circuit riding preachers. One of them, John Wesley, he was the founder of the Methodist Church. How many's ever heard of John Wesley? Well, you know, when I got to studying all the studying I was doing, I had a new appreciation for these circuit riding preachers. Listen at this. John Wesley averaged three sermons a day for 54 years, preaching all told more than 44,000 times. In doing this, he traveled by horseback and carriage more than 200,000 miles or about 5,000 miles a year. His published works include a four-volume commentary on the whole Bible, a dictionary of the English language, five-volume work on natural philosophy, a four-volume work on church histories, histories of England, Rome, grammar of grammar on Hebrew, Latin, Greek, French, English languages, three works on medicine, six volumes on church music, seven volumes of sermons and controversial papers. He also, in his spare time, edited a library of 50 volumes known as the Christian Library. These guys, circuit, Methodist circuit-riding preachers, usually didn't live past about 33 years old. It was such a hard, hard life. Francis Asbury, let me read you about Francis Asbury. He was also a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. In his journal, he made comments on what it was like being out uh, riding the horse to the next meeting and the next these these guys would go when when america moved west these guys would follow the wagon trains and stuff like that they didn't preach the thousands they preached to two and three and five and ten and they sacrificed to do that and i just when i when i read this i thought man we need to we just need to be reminded and appreciate what somebody did uh that 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 made life better for and and brought people to the lord because of their sacrifice. He said this, he said, wolves stalked him, hailstones pelted him, chiggers and ticks preyed on his flesh, and the summer sun and winter winds were unmerciful. His food supply was simple. Often, all he had to eat was bread. But he wrote, I'd do it again, trusting God to completely keep me alive. At night, he would stay in different places, anywhere he could find. He stayed in a place one time where the bats were coming through the roof. He stayed in a place one time with dogs and pigs and other animals. 
He stayed in a place one time where he, he, he got a bed, but it was with two complete strangers. He, he got so uh, worn out, his feet literally, from those stirrups in the horse, he also rode, rode a horse for about 250,000 miles. And he, his feet were blistered and he couldn't even wear shoes. He got to the point where all he could do was walk on crutches. That's a sacrifice for the Lord. I just thought today, I thought, man, what kind of reward are these kind of people going to get? Never married because they felt like if they married, it would it would, it'd be too hard of a life for a wife. So they sacrificed themselves and gave their lives for, for the gospel. Makes me ask the question, you know, what if I ever sacrificed really, you know? So I just wanted to put that out there because these, these guys were, were something else. Now let's look at some of the results of the, of the revivals. Uh, I've got several books here, so I'm going to just kind of thumb around through these books. I've got them marked, so don't worry. I'm not going to take all night to find things. Let's look at Jonathan Edwards first. Jonathan Edwards. How many remembers Jonathan Edwards? You ever heard of Jonathan Edwards? 13 years old, he enrolled in Yale. 17 years old, he graduated from Yale Val Victorian. That guy was pretty smart, wasn't he? So, he has this famous sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. I could read you the sermon, but I'm not going to. It's, it's way out there, I tell you. But Jonathan couldn't even finish the message before the people were crying out. As one minister put it, there was a great moaning and crying throughout the whole house what shall I do to be saved? Oh, am I going to hell? Oh, what shall I do for Christ? It was as if they believed that the floor had opened and they were about to be swallowed up. The assembly appeared deeply impressed and bowed down with an awful conviction of their sin and danger. There was such a breathing of distress and weeping that the preacher was asking them to be silent so he could finish his sermon, but he never finished his sermon. That was Jonathan Edwards. Here's what someone said about him, about this particular sermon. And by the way, this wasn't the only sermon he preached. He preached a lot of other sermons and, and uh, saw a lot of moves of God and other things. But this particular one, he had already preached this sermon actually one time. Preached it at his church and it didn't move anybody. Well, when they asked him to preach it at another place, he just he had it in his saddlebag, so he goes out and gets it out of his saddlebags and takes it in there, and this is, this is what happened. He had the manuscript held up so close to his face that you couldn't even see his face. He went on and on until the people in the crowded church were moved almost beyond control. One man sprang up, rushed down the aisle, and cried, Mr. Edwards, have mercy. Others called hold of the backs of the pews, lest they should slip into the pit. Most thought the day of judgment had dawned on them. The power of that sermon is still felt in the United States today. However, the secret of that sermon's power is known to few Christians. Here's what else happened. Some believers in that vicinity of Enfield, Massachusetts, had become alarmed that God was not blessing them he was blessing other places so they met on that evening before the sermon and spent the whole night in what in agonizing prayer not just saying prayers agonizing prayers oh god we need you then something else about that particular famous sermon for three days, Edwards had not eaten a mouthful of food. For three nights, he had not closed his eyes in sleep. Over and over again, he'd been crying and saying, God, give me New England. God, give me New England. And when he arose from his knees and made his way to the pulpit, they said he looked as if he had been gazing straight into the face of God. 
It's interesting you said that tonight, isn't it? Gazing straight into the face of God. Wow. There's so many stories of all of these folks. The Welsh Revival. The Welsh Revival. You ever heard of the Welsh Revival? Here's a little bit about the Welsh Revival. Evan Roberts was one of the ministers in this particular move of God. And like I told you last week, during the first phase of the revival, it was characterized by penitent weeping and sobbing, the whole congregation in tears, confessing their sin, agonizing in prayer for mercy, pleading for salvation. But three months later, a fullness of joy took possession of the people. Agonized in prayer and just said, God, I want to make sure everything's okay. Now, anybody that's a Christian... You're on your way to heaven. But if, if we're not careful, sometimes we can develop attitudes. Sometimes we can uh, develop unbelief. Sometimes we can quit trusting and put it on cruise control. But if we pray and just keep that fresh move of God in our heart, keep that fresh hunger, keep that fresh dealings, of the Holy Spirit. Somebody lift your hand and say, Lord, just deal with me afresh and anew. You know what I need. I thank you for it, Father. Can you do that? Are you afraid to do that? Here was the results, some of the results of the revival. The judges were presented the white gloves because there was not a case to try. There were no robberies, no burglaries, no rapes, no murders, no embezzlement. Simply put, there was no crime. District councils held emergency meetings to discuss what to do with the police now that they were unemployed. In one place, the sergeant was, of the police was sent and asked for, and he said, what do you do with your time? Here's what he said. Before the revival, we had two main jobs, to prevent crime and to control crowds at football games. Since the revival has started, there's practically no crime, so we just go with the crowds. Listen to this. Now, when we read these stories, folks, let's picture these things as a possibility to happen to us. This was back in 1904, but, but time doesn't make any difference with God. What God's looking for is hungry hearts Hungry hearts that say, God, I, I don't, I, I'm not satisfied with this. If you're satisfied, then you'll stay, you'll stay right there. Before the revival, we prevented crime and, and controlled crowds. Now we just go with the crowds. As the revival swept Wales, now, now get the picture here. As the revival swept Greenville, as the revival swept Greenville, I'm just making it pertinent to today. I want you to picture that. I want you to imagine that. As revival swept my family, as revival swept Wales, drunkenness was cut in half. There was a wave of bankrupt, bankruptcies, but nearly all the bankruptcies were taverns. There was, an even a, there was even a slowdown in the mines because many of the Welsh coal miners were converted and stopped using bad language. The horses that dragged the trucks in the mines could not understand what was being said to them, so the transportation slowed down for a while until they learned the language of heaven. The revival had affected sexual moral standards. Through the figures given by the British government, experts in Radnorshire and another shire said the actual legitimate birth rate had dropped by 44% within one year of the beginning of the revival. The results speak for themselves. Now, here's some that you may not have heard a whole lot about. These, these are called camp meetings, and they were very important. They were, they were more out into the west of the nation, out in Kentucky, Tennessee, and up east, they were maybe a little bit more formal up there. 
But when they got out into the camp meetings, what would happen is they would have what they called a communion, which we would call it just a revival meeting, a meeting. And so they would have a communion, and people would come. And then when they prayed and the Spirit of God started falling and people started hearing about it, other people would come. So you had a place called Jasper River. You had a place called Cane Ridge. These were places where mighty moves of God. I'm going to read you just some of the things that happened at Cane Ridge and at some of these other places during that particular time. Uh, it said that many thousands of people attended. Now, remember, these are this is more rural, and yet thousands of people are attending. These are people that just move out into the West, and there's not that many people there, but thousands attended. The mighty power and mercy of God was manifested. And listen to this. Pastor, wouldn't you love to have this happen? The people fell before the word like corn before a storm of wind. Many rose from the dust with divine glory shining on their countenances and gave glory to God in such strains as made the hearts of stubborn sinners to tremble. And after the first gust of praise, they would break forth in volleys of exhortation. Wouldn't you like to see that happen? Folks, do you believe we can see these kind of things? Or is this, I mean, is this just a history lesson to you? Or are you, are you laying hold of any of this? Are you saying, oh, God, do it again? Are you saying, God, do it again? Do it in me, Lord. Do it again. Folks, we need a revival. We need a national revival big time. We can't just hide. We can't just say none of these things are happening. We can't just think it's going to go away. It's not going to go away. The church... The Bible says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God. Gates of hell, the gates of hell, when they, when they try to withstand the church, we're going to come busting right on through and in the name of Jesus, and we're going to have victory. But we've got to believe that we can see, and we've got to ask for God to do it again. Come on, lift your hand and if you mean it. Don't do it if you don't mean it, but say, God, do it again. Hallelujah. Many fell down as men slain in battle. And listen to this, continued for hours in an apparently breathless and motionless state. Sometimes for a few moments reviving and exhibiting symptoms of life by a deep groan or piercing shriek or by prayer for mercy fervently uttered. After lying thus for hours... Let's see, i got to be out of here. After laying thus for hours, deliverance came. On the day of Pentecost, there were one accord in one place. There came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. It filled all the house where they were sitting. Because Jesus had told them, go and wait for the promise. You know why some people don't get filled with the Holy Spirit? They're not willing to wait. Now, if you're willing to wait, you may not have to wait. But you got to get willing to wait. Very many fell down. And after lying thus for hours, they obtained deliverance. The gloomy cloud which had covered their faces seemed gradually and visibly to disappear, and hopes and smiles brightened into joy. I want to read you this one about this, about this, this young girl. This, this is so cool. Here, here's another. Uh, this is... Uh, Cane Ridge, I believe. In one instance, now listen to this, a seven-year-old girl named Barbara climbed up on a man's shoulder and began to speak with words far beyond her years, seven years old. She was, and when she was exhausted, she settled down to rest her head on the man's head as if to sleep. When a tender-hearted man saw this, he remarked, poor thing, she had better be laid down. She revived immediately to proclaim, seven years old, don't call me poor, for Christ is my brother. God is my father, and I have a kingdom to inherit. Therefore, do not call me poor, for I am rich in the blood of the Lamb. <laughs> wow. Where's our, where's our youth tonight? Are they over there? Come on, everybody, put your hand over toward the youth. Lord, let us see that in our youth. Let the youth see that kind of move. Let the children see that kind of move in, our, in the house here, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Lord. Thank you. For, oh, glory to God. Glory to God. Now, 
Let me go. Let me go to. Uh, I tell you what. For time, I'm going to skip a few of them. I hate to because they're so good. Let's go to Hemet, California. Are you from California? Smart Alec. All right. <laughs> Making the preacher look bad. You know where he, you know where Hemet is? Hemet Valley? Is it a home of a lot of cults and stuff? It used to be. Meth, meth, methamphetamine capital? You what? Okay, I'm going to tell the story right here. Can I tell the story? Would you please let me tell the story? Is it okay? All right. Now, you can, you can add to it if you want to. I may not have it all together here. Okay. Hemet Valley, fast growing. Now, this is back in 1990s, I think it was. Okay. Hemet Valley was fast growing a cult haven. We had the Moonies, the Mormons, sheep people, a cult that claimed Christ dealt in drugs, Scientology. It was the golden era, and the Marishi Maheshi Yogi purchased property to teach people how to find enlightenment. And he also bought a 360-acre juvenile facility where students were given instructions in up, upper-level transcendental meditation. Not just about feeling good, but techniques whereby people can actually leave their bodies. So how many knows that that's demonic? Demonic. The cults were not only the pre-existing problem. Neighborhood youth gangs had plagued the Hemet. Hemet. Hemet, just seeing if you were listening. Hemet suburb of San Jacinto for more than a century. You, have you ever heard of San Jacinto Assembly? In Hemet? Are you serious? You need to come be up here preaching. I'll tell you what, this is good. I'm glad somebody can verify this. That's good. So the first street gang was right next door to the church, San Jacinto Assembly. Now, the first street gang was a gang that had been there for nearly a hundred years. The kids were in it, their dads had been in it, and their grandfathers had been in it. It was bad. So the danger there was so great that the police wouldn't even go unless they had some extra backup. Also, Sleepy Hemet Valley was also the methamphetamine manufacturing capital of the West Coast. One former cooker, cook, cooker, we're going to call him Sonny in the book it says here, told me that he boasted of at least nine major production laboratories. He said the climate was perfect. The law enforcement was helpful because the law enforcement officers actually helped transport the dope. So what happened was, some of the leaders there, the community, they got together with the community intercessors and listened at what they did. They began to select meaningful targets. We're going to talk about that next Wednesday night, meaningful targets. Seeing the challenge before them, they became spiritually engaged. They, with real targets and timelines, they could actually watch the answer to their prayers. There's a lot of people I'd like to encourage us, if it's okay with Pastor, to have a little prayer list, your own personal prayer list, where you're targeting, since we're kind of emphasizing America, where you're targeting some of our leaders. The good ones need to be prayed that they'll be strengthened and encouraged. The bad ones, they need to have the wheels pull off of their chariot. I'll just tell you that. So the cult membership, it was once a serious threat, but after these folks began to pray, after they began to seek God, here's what happened. Cult membership was once a serious threat, but it dropped to less than 0.3%. The Scientologists have yet to be evicted from their perch, but many other groups are long gone. The Transcendental Meditation Training Center was literally burned out shortly after praying for their removal. A brush fire started in the mountains on the west side of the valley. It burned along the top of the ridge and then arced down like a finger to incinerate Maharashi's facility, leaving adjacent properties unsinged. Then the flames burned back up the mountain and were eventually extinguished after prayer, 
after prayer. How many believes it'll make a difference in prayer? And how about how about this sunny guy? This sunny guy who was the former drug dealer there, he was on his way to a murder, to commit a murder. Driving to meet his intended victim, he felt something take control of the steering wheel. Have you ever heard pastors pray and say, Lord, just deal with them, just turn them in here? We need to go out and reach them as well, but sometimes God can just turn them in there. Listen to this. Driving to meet his intended victim, he felt something take control of the steering wheel. He wound up in the parking lot of uh, Bob Beckett's Dwelling Place Church. It was about 8 in the morning, and men were having a meeting, and they had just gotten underway. Before I got out of the car, this drug, former drug dealer said, I looked at the silenced pistol laying on the seat. I remember thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing? So I covered it with a blanket, walked into the prayer meeting. As soon as I did that, it was all over. People were praying all around me, and I heard this man speak out as he was praying. Somebody was about to murder somebody today. Man, my eyeballs just popped out of my head, but that was the beginning of my new journey home. I've never experienced more joy. The school districts now that used to be the laughing stock of Southern California with a 4.7 dropout rate, it was then after prayer and revival, 0.07. That's pretty good, isn't it? Hallelujah. Can I go on? How are we doing on time? heard one of you say go on so okay I will go on you want me to go on home is that what you're saying two more can I do two more two more all right let's do Almolongo Guatemala you know where Almolongo is are you serious you people know where all these places are so you're going to verify this that there really is such a place all right now, this is after revival. I don't know, I don't know what it was before. It was, it, well, I do know what it was before because they said there was a lot of drunkenness. They said people, the, the fathers would drink all night long. One, one of the uh, pastors here said that his dad uh, was, was drunk sometimes 40 to 50 days. And the, the police would go out and just find him laying in the street. So there was a, a, a group. It doesn't have to be a big group. You can start out with a small group. So there was a group that got together and they led a small group of believers into a series of prayer vigils that lasted from 7 p.m. to midnight. Although prayer dominated the meetings, these vanguards, these vanguard intercessors also, listen, took time to speak declarations of freedom over the town. He said... God filled us with faith. We started praying, Lord, it's not possible that we could be so insignificant when your word says that we are the head and not the tail. So in the months that followed, it says the power of God began to deliver many possessed by demons. They had been given their lives to, to these false gods, these Mayan gods. There were... there. In 1998, there were nearly two dozen evangelical churches, evangelical churches in this Mayan, Mayan town of 19,000, and at least four of them have 1,000 or more members. So God began to move, and God began to deal, and the town that was once full of alcohol and the businesses that were once had alcohol on the shelves now were filled with groceries. But listen to what else happened. As the drinking stopped, so did the violence. For 20 years, the town's crime rate, isn't that interesting? 20 years, that's not just an overnight deal. 20 years. The crime rate went down, declined steadily. In 1994, the last of the four jails in Almalonga, did I say it right? Almagunga, Chitaconga, Almagunga. Okay, whatever he said. They closed the four jails, and the remodeled building is now called the Hall of Honor and used for municipal ceremonies and weddings. But now here's something that's really, really interesting. Even the town's agricultural base has come to life. For years, crops around that place were diminished through a combination of arid land and poor work habits. But as the people have turned to God, 
there have been, they have seen a remarkable transformation of their land. It's a glorious thing. All Malanga's fields have become so fertile that they yield three harvests per year. In fact, some farmers reported their normal 60-day growing cycle on certain vegetables has been cut to 25 days. Whereas before they would ex export four truckloads per month, they're now watching as many as 40 loads a day roll out of the valley from four a month to 40 a day. See, revival even affects the dirt. The presence of God just affects everything. Hallelujah. This place was nicknamed America's Vegetable Garden. Almolongo's produce is of biblical proportions. Now, the man that wrote the book here, George Otis, he said, walking through the local exhibition hall, I saw and filmed five-pound beets, carrots larger than my arm, and cabbages the size of oversized basketballs. Noting the dimension of these vegetables and the town's astounding 1,000% increase in agricultural productivity, university researchers from the United States and other foreign countries have beat a path to Al Malongo. How significant, one paper wrote, is, are these developments? The headline said, the evangelical church constitutes the most significant force for religious change in the highlands of Guatemala since the Spanish conquest. Revival, outpouring, the move of God, the awakening. It starts with us, precious ones. It starts with us. It starts with me. Do you want a revival? Do we need a revival? If you know you need a revival, you know you want a revival. And if you don't want it for your sake, do it for your children's sake. One more. Can I read one more? That's not enough. Anybody else? Thank you. All right. Let's go to Azusa Street. 1906, it lasted, what, 1,000 days, I think they said. Azusa Street, a precious man, William Seymour. He goes to a church. He goes to Charles Parham's Bible School in Houston. And then he goes to California for a meeting. And he had just, they had just been seeking the Lord for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit began to come and began to fill different ones there in the school. William Seymour goes to California. He's invited to preach at a church there. He goes to preach there, and when he's after the first night of his preaching, he comes back the second night, and the doors of the church are locked. They didn't like. They they weren't interested in what he had to say. So a lady says, "You know what? I don't like the way they treated you. You can come to my house." And so William Seymour went to her house. And people started hearing about it. People started getting filled with the Spirit, and they got in her little old house, which was on the other side of the tracks, which was a little wooden frame house, and they would get to praising and worshiping God so much. One time the whole floor fell through, and the walls caved in, but nobody was hurt. So they thought at that time, we better find us another place. So they found an old livery stable, I believe it was, on Azusa Street. The people painted it and whitewashed it and cleaned it up. They had prayer in the upper room, and then they would have services down below. It wasn't your necessarily your uh, what we would think of your, your regular type services. Uh, William Seymour didn't even preach all that much. He just kind of conducted the revival. And it was a very interesting thing. They're, they had the prayer room, and it was open 24-7. They prayed night and day. And whenever the preaching would start, they would ring a bell. So when the bell would ring, somebody had something to say. So you would leave the prayer room and you'd go down and sit in the service. And that's where I want to pick up this story. <clears throat> there was a man named Robert E. McAllister from Los Angeles. And he actually saw this happen. 
at Azusa. He visited there several times. The girl whom I, this is his report, the girl whom I intimately, who I knew intimately, and I heard the incident also from her parents, was a girl named Kathleen Scott. I think she was about 14. At Azusa Street Mission, people traveled from every part of the world to investigate what was happening there. There was the upper room, prayer room. It was open day and night for several years with preaching services two or three times daily. And the people in the prayer room day and night. At the close of the preaching, crowds would retire to the upper room. I used to love when we were going to Gospel Lighthouse. The half of the back of the church was a prayer room. And uh, Sister Hibbert or, or Brother Hibbert would say, okay, after church, let's all go in the prayer room. They'd, they'd be prayer before and prayer after. That, that's not a bad, bad idea, is it? At the close of the preaching, crowds would retire to the upper room to pray. And when time for preaching would, pray, or would come, somebody would ring a bell, and all the, everybody was upstairs would come down. Kathleen was in the upper room, a teenager at this particular time. A man entered the building. The service was now being in process, and hearing people pray, he ventured upstairs to the prayer room. The moment he entered, Kathleen, moved by the Spirit, rose from where she was praying, turned and pointed at the man as he stood at the head of the stairway and spoke in a language others, other than her own for several minutes. The ringing of the bell calling the people to the preaching services to the preaching service interrupted. And so all the people arose and made their way to the stairway. The man, as Kathleen approached the stairs, took her by the arm and directed her downstairs to the preacher's desk and waited until order was restored in the auditorium. Then he spake, I am a Jew. I came to this city to investigate this speaking in tongues. No person in this city knows my first and last name as I am here under an assumed name. No one in this city knows my occupation or anything about me. I go to hear preachers for the purpose of taking their sermons apart and using them in lecturing against the Christian religion. This girl, pointing to Kathleen, as I entered the room, started speaking in the Hebrew language. She told me my first name, my last name, and she told me why I was in the city and what my occupation was in life. And then she called upon me to repent. She told me things about my life which would be impossible for any person in this city to know. And then the man dropped to his knees and cried and prayed as though his heart would break. Revival will do that. Prayer will bring that about. There needs to come a day when this building, at least for starters, is filled on Saturday morning with prayer. And when that happens, when that happens, we're going to see some stuff change. We're going to see some good things happen. Are we ready? Are we ready to Do what the Lord wants us to do. Are we ready to seek Him? Are we ready to get with it? Because here's the deal. We are not hopeless. And we are not helpless without Him. But without Him... See, I think what we are, Pastor, I think what it is is we're, not, we're just not quite full. That's not a, a statement to condemn anybody. We're just not quite as full as we need to be. And when we really move in there, everybody's on a different level. If you're up here, don't condemn me for being down here. And if you're down here and I'm up here, I'm not going to condemn you from being, for being down there. What God is looking at is your heart's pursuit. What God is looking at is your hunger, our willingness to pursue Him. And you know what? Anybody that's ever looked in the face of God, 
never been disappointed. They've never been disappointed. Wouldn't you like to see God move in such a way where, where a, a drug dealer or gang member comes walking down the aisle? One of these pastors here, he said, they're in Hemet. He said that as he was preaching, the, the, the gang leader came walking down the aisle while he's in the middle of his sermon, he said, I didn't know what he was going to do or what he was going to say, but he, he got right up to the pulpit and he said, Preacher, I want to get saved and I want to get saved right now. Do you think that could happen? It can. If we'll just be sensitive to the Lord and pursue the Lord. Amen. Amen. Can we... I know it's late. I guess it's too late. Maybe we could at least spend five minutes on the altar. And I don't know if the praise team is still around or not, but maybe we could just sing that song, We Need a Move. Can we do that? We need a move of God. Just find you a place up here at the altar, just five or ten minutes, or two minutes even. Just, just come and kneel before the Lord and say, God, we need a move. I want you to move in me. And then I'm just going to let Pastor have it back. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. We can see it, folks. We can see it. We can see it in our nation. We can see it. Prayer's the key next week. Next week, we're going to be really moving into that arena of prayer. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Worthy, worthy. Oh, God, we need to move. Oh, God, we need to move. Oh, God, we need to move. Oh, Father God, we need to move. Oh, we need to move, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Father. I want you to listen to me just a moment. We're going to close in prayer. Two things I want you to pray for. Pray that the Lord will give you the hunger for a move. 
and to prepare you for a move. See, because so often we get in our mind that we have to source this. What he's looking for is partnership. He has to bless us with the gift of hunger your generations, Lord, and entire nations, Almighty God. Now, Father, what we are asking, Lord God, and what we are appealing to you for tonight is that, Lord God, you would put a hunger deep in the recesses of our souls, a fire, Lord God, to begin to burn from within that will be seen from without. Lord, we ask, Almighty God, that you would prepare our hearts with the fire, Lord God, the illuminating, Lord, fire of the Holy Spirit in the depth of our soul, Almighty God, that, Lord, will begin to prepare us, Lord God, for a move beyond our imagination, beyond our resources, Lord God, beyond our reasoning, skills, and logic, Lord God, beyond the wish and the want, and Lord God, be a hunger, Lord, so deep and so rich and so mighty and so powerful, Lord God, that, Lord, nothing else will do. Lord, we see it today. And, Lord, we cannot have it, Lord, even begin to imagine it, Lord God, until we step into your imagination by the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, I'm asking God that you will pour within me, within this ministry, within this house, within your people, Lord God, a deep, rich, ravenous hunger for revival, Lord. Lord, we release hunger in this house and a preparation by the fire that, Lord, we will see our children, Lord God, and this nation turn about, and it will begin here and now, Father. And, Lord, I pray, Almighty God, Lord, that we would see the miracles, Lord God, of transformation, Father, begin to take place in every service on a daily basis. Lord, in Walmart, the workplace, Lord God, in the home, Father, we ask it, Lord God. We're not just regurgitating. We're not just saying, Lord, we are believing for a move. We are believing.